Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you watching online. We're continuing our DNA series, and we've been using DNA as a metaphor. We're not just necessarily trying to promote or advance scientific technology, although I will say this week I was listening to a, a Chinese scientist, which is just something I do in my free time, and he was talking about our DNA, our, the human genome which I found this fascinating. It's three billion characters long, and it consists only of the repeated letters A, T, C, and G. And this scientist said they've been making digital copies of DNA and then watching the way things like stress, diet, medical history, all these different interactions impact the DNA of an individual in an effort to figure out how to give them the most fulfilled, the most adjusted, the most healthy life possible. I thought, what a great metaphor. Really, that's what we've been doing in this series. We've been looking at the scriptures and how did God create you and I in a way, what are the building blocks, what's the code to live a life that's filled with the fulfillment, the joy, the peace, the purpose, the meaning that all of us are looking for. We're all looking to do something great in our lives. And so we've been studying what's the code? How did God make you and I? What are the pieces that he uses to build the life you and I were created to live? I believe we can have that. And we've been in this series looking at what it means to live this way. This week we're in DNA number seven. This week's DNA number seven, generosity transforms. Generosity transforms. There it is. Here's the thing. You might be thinking, okay, Jed, uh, I knew sooner or later we were going to talk about money. Well, when we talk about generosity, we are going to talk about what we do with our resources. But it's so much bigger than that. You might be thinking, well, I knew it. Sooner or later we were going to talk about money. Maybe you've been visiting or coming for a little bit, and Pastor Jeff tried to sneak one past us. He's gone, so we let Jed talk about it. And that's not what we're trying to do. No one's trying to sneak anything past you. You know, I, I've been friends with Pastor Jeff for a long time, more than 20 years, and I remember when the church started, and from the very beginning, whether it was in a hotel room or a cafetorium or different buildings along the way, generosity has been an integral, fundamental part of who God's called us to be as a people. It, it's not something that we're tacking on because we're in a new building or in an expansion or growth time. This is how God's created you and I to live, and the great news is God's not operating from need. He's not operating from lack. He's not trying to get something from you that you don't want to give. In fact, it's the opposite of that. God has something for you that you can't get any other way than living a generous life. So I believe generosity is one of those things we all want. We all want it. We're not always sure how to get it, and we're not sure of what it requires us to live that way, but we want it. And, and let me just say, too, God has a sense of humor. Some of us, I think, are more generous by nature than others. I think all of us have to make an effort. Some of us, I believe, the Bible says there's this thing called the gift of giving. You ever met anybody like that who's just generous? They're always trying to get the check. They're always trying to take care of things. They're always thinking of you, doing something nice. I think God gives people that gift. But whether or not you have the gift of giving, the Bible expects all of us, if we're going to build according to his pattern, to live a generous life. Now, something I've had to work on. My wife is more generous than I am by nature. I was reflecting on that, thinking about it this week, and I remembered an actual moment in my life that gives you a little window into my soul. I was maybe 11 or 12 years old. 
had a little job. I was either mowing lawns or doing errands, and I'd saved up some of my own money. And it was my brother's birthday. I just have one sibling, and it was his birthday, and I was like, man, I'm really going to be generous. I'm going to show my brother how much he means to me. I'm going to show him how much I love him. And so I'd saved up, and I put in his birthday card a $5 bill. I mean, I was generous with the capital G. Now, Within 24 hours, he did something that made me really mad, and I think, you know what, that was dumb. I shouldn't have given him that. Without saying anything to anyone, I went onto his desk, found the card, and took that $5 back. (laughs) And in my mind, I justified it. He didn't really deserve it. He was mean to me last night. It was his birthday. doesn't matter. I'm taking it back. Now, I've grown in the area. (laughs) It's not, it's not, that's where I was. It's not where I am. But generosity is one of those things, not just with money, with our time, with our gifts, with our resources, with our relationships. We want to be generous. We don't always want to do what generosity requires. It's kind of like exercise. This week, Sarah and I were having breakfast with a bunch of our friends. Now, we'd all been doing different things, and it kind of just spontaneously happened, so she sent me a text. She's like, hey, we're all having breakfast. Come join us. Now, they, some of them had been exercising, including my wife. I hadn't. I felt the Lord wanted me to sleep a little bit longer. And I was feeling strong about that. But I showed up to breakfast in exercise clothes. And so they're all like, hey, Jed, you work out? I was like, no, not at all. I just showed up like this. I didn't even, I just wear the clothes because they're comfortable. And plus, when I wear the clothes, even if I don't exercise, it feel like I did. It's like I'm on the team. I got the uniform, guys. Good workout. High five. And you don't smell because you didn't sweat. It's like, man, isn't this awesome? We're all just fit together. They're like, what are you talking about? You didn't do anything. I know, but we did together, right? It's like you like having a generous friend or being in in an environment where people are generous because whether it's you or not, you feel like you did it, right? It's like social media. There's a big cause, like something happens, you know, whether it's a hurricane or, or it's a, something happens and there's a need and you see it everywhere in your social media feed and there's a video you watch. And you get the feeling, if I watch the video and feel bad and share it with my friends, I'm really advancing the cause. I'm being generous. You haven't really done anything yet. You're promoting other people who are generous, but you haven't actually done it. So what does it look like? How do we live a generous life? Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've got it there in the notes for you. We'll put it up on the screens. I love this letter to Timothy The Apostle Paul wrote it. It, it, Maybe you've ever thought, I don't know, Jed, I'm not really a church person. I kind of grew up in a different environment. I didn't grow up going that way, and and my family wasn't really like that. And if you've ever felt that way, then the letter to Timothy should encourage you. Because Timothy's dad, the Bible tells us, wasn't a believer, and and, and pretty soon he's out of the picture, and his mom and his grandma are, are influencing him and leading him and coaching him in the right way. And then this guy, Paul, who's a leader in the church, shows up, and he becomes like, almost like an adopted dad to Timothy. And and Timothy, even though he's young, he becomes one of the most significant and influential leaders in the early church. And I learned this this week. I thought it was fascinating. Did you know that in the church there at Ephesus that Timothy was leading and pastoring, many scholars believe in that church was the Apostle John. I mean, the guy who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Imagine being Timothy leading that church and you look over, there's John sitting there and you're preaching and you're like, I hope this is right because if not, I'm going to hear about it from John, right? He was right there watching him, but God trusted him and believed in him and Paul believed in him and John believed in him. So here's Timothy getting coaching on how to lead the church 
1 Timothy chapter 6. Look what it says. Command those who are rich. Now, notice the word command. Not appeal, not imply, not suggest. Command. That's strong. That's about as strong as you can get. Command is like a military term. Tell them what to do. Now, many of you aren't thinking about command. You're thinking about this other little word tucked in this phrase as we're just getting started in this verse. Command those who are rich. Now, maybe in your mind, mentally, you've already pulled the e-break. Hang on a minute, Jed. That's not talking about me. I'm not rich. Jerry Jones is rich. Bill Gates is rich. Jeff Bezos, the guy who owns Amazon, he's rich. I'm not rich. Well, if you've thought that or if you're feeling that now, I get it. I'm right there with you. When I think of rich, I don't think of myself necessarily. But let's stop for a moment and think about the facts. It's one thing to have feelings about something. It's another thing to have facts. Let's just consider this for a second. There are 7 billion people in the world right now. The average American income per person, $32,000, per household, $46,000 a year on average, the American household, that's their annual income. If that's your income, if you're in that bracket, no one would say you're rich. The interesting thing is, compared to 7 billion people on the planet, you're in the top 90%. That's just the people who are living now. If you start to think, well, how long have human beings been on the planet? How long have they been living? If we compared ourselves to them, it gets even more challenging because up until maybe a hundred years ago, even the wealthiest person in the world, the most, the most <clears throat> elite, the most uh, uh, rich person in the world would, wouldn't have been able to enjoy many of the things you and I take for granted as a basic standard of living. For example, air conditioning. We're enjoying air conditioning. If you live in Texas, you're grateful for air conditioning. You may even pray and work that into your prayers. I encourage you to do that. I'm grateful for air conditioning in this exact moment. Because if you should be grateful for it too, because if it, if it doesn't, if it goes off, I'm going to start sweating and panthering around. Here's another thing to be grateful for. We, we complain sometimes and say, man, I had to go through security and I got patted down and it takes forever and I had to stand in line. But it's amazing how, how easy it is for us to take for granted something as incredibly privileged as flying. You know, kings, 150 years ago, a king, if he had all the resources in the world, couldn't have gone from one planet, one side of the planet to the other in a matter of hours the way that you and I do. And if you don't think that makes you rich, you've never tried to go on a long card ride with small children. <laughs> it's easy for us to take it for granted. We think about a smartphone. Many of us carry those things in our pockets. Now, maybe we make them, we use them to take pictures of our kids and our food and play Angry Birds. But the fact is, your smartphone has more computer processing power than put a man on the moon. Think about that for a second. And we just go, well, that's just normal, Jed. That's not for rich people. That's just for how we live. What about a grocery store? A couple hundred years ago, someone would walk in. I'm not even talking about Whole Foods or Central Market. I'm just talking about a regular old grocery store. Even like a 7-Eleven. Like you walk into a 7-Eleven, there's food. You didn't grow. You didn't plant. You had nothing to do with it. You can go find food, buy it, and eat it, and be satisfied. There are people who lived for thousands of years on the planet who have no concept of what that would be like. Listen, this is not me trying to make you feel guilty, trying to make you feel bad for not being more generous. This is me just going, maybe, just maybe, this passage is speaking to us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, 
nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. That's a big idea. Who's the source? Is it you? Is it your salary? Is it your economy? We're going to dive into this idea as we go deeper. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love this about God. You say, Jed, you're talking about being generous. God just wanted us to live a bare minimalistic life. Like all he wants is us for our bare minimum to be met and so that we could be generous and give everything we have to the poor. Is God after three hots and a cot? No, God loves you. God's a generous, good father. He's not holding out on you because he's generous. He's not being stingy with you and I. In fact, he gives us not to just meet our basic needs, but he gives us everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy your life. He's not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I am trying to hear, I'm trying to help you hear God calling you to a higher way of life. Look what he goes on to say. Command, he said it again, them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, not to just think about it, but to actually do it, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, Set that aside for a second. That's a different message. Watch this now. If you have a pen, underline this in your Bible. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What Paul's saying to Timothy is, help the people that you're pastoring and leading. It's so easy to fall into a misperception of how you have what you have and the way you handle what you've been entrusted with. It's easy to think you did it, you accomplished it, you made it happen, and so because it's yours, you do whatever you want with what you have. Paul's saying, Timothy, when they start to feel that way, when they get materialistic, when they trust in things, remind them to come back. In fact, command them to come back to this higher way of life, to live the way God lives, generous, looking for opportunities to be a blessing to others. You know, you're a generous church. You really are. We're sitting in one of the most generous churches in America. Consultants who come here, they come and look at our numbers and they're like, man, you guys are really doing this. So don't hear me telling you, you guys are misguided and you're not doing it. We're not trying to drum up money for the budget. But there's a principle that's deeper that's about how you and I were created to live. We're created to be generous, to figure out how we can give, how we can add value to others. And the great thing is you're doing this. I love, we all love, let's be honest, we all love being in a generous environment. We love a generous family, a generous workplace, a generous small group, a generous group of friends, a generous church family. And you guys are doing that. Right now, we asked you a couple weeks ago when Hurricane Harvey happened to give. We said, we're not even going to pray about it. We're going to help. And we work with churches. And some of the first aid that got on the ground in Houston was part of your giving because we have a church that's on a military base. And they were able to get stuff in there when other people weren't. Your generosity, but we didn't just give resources at the beginning. Right now, as we speak, there's a team of people in Houston with boots on the ground serving and helping and loving people because we're a generous church. But this is, listen, you, maybe you're saying, okay, Jed, well, what are you saying? If I'm generous, if I give, then God will love me then God will accept me. No, that's, that's not how. We don't give so that God will love us. We don't give so that he'll forgive us of our sins. We don't do any of those things. God gave to us long before. God's not asking. He's not waiting for you to hit a certain measure of giving so that he'll love you and invite you to heaven. He does that for you as a free gift before you ever give anything. But he does call us into a higher way of life. Maybe you're a guest and you're just investigating what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
You hear us say many times when you, when you come in, we say, fill out that communication card. Let that be your gift to us. We're not expecting you to give or to be generous or to tithe till you have a relationship with God. We wouldn't expect that, neither would God. So if you're just wondering and investigating, I believe it's good to be generous, but our generosity doesn't make God do anything for us. He loves us and blesses us and provides for us before we obey because it's who he is. He's a generous God. When you're in a generous environment, you benefit it from, it from it in so many different ways. I know this personally in my own life. You know, being in a place like this, it's such an encouraging thing to be around people who care and think about ways to add value to others. A few years ago, my family and I went on a trip, a vacation. We actually were leaving in January. We went to go see my, my wife's uh, parents in a little island where we're from in the state of Washington, and it takes a long time to get there. And so we got the family all gathered up, and at that point, we, our four kids, we have two little ones. They were both two years old. Now, this is not a normal trip. Going to the place where they live takes about 13 hours. You drive to the airport, you get in the plane, you go through the plane, then we land in Seattle. Now, just imagine my family, also known as a three-ring circus, like doo 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 I'm running through the airport, we're late. I have two two-year-olds two, two that I'm carrying over the top of my, they're sweaty, I'm sweaty, it's Seattle, so they're looking at us like, what about global warming? You're overpopulating the planet. I'm like, I'm from Texas, don't worry about it. And so, we're running through the airport. We're racing to get our rental car. Then we get in our rental car, and we're racing through traffic in Seattle. It's about a two-hour drive to get to the place where you take a ferry, which is a big boat that you drive on, and you got to get in line for it and wait for it. You finally get on the boat, and then you drive, and then you get to the island, and you drive, and you finally get to the in-law's house, and you walk in the house, and you just collapse. Like you walk in carrying kids in bags, and you just drop all of it, and then... I sat down in a chair and I was just like, I'm, uh, I'm done, I'm out. And I think I went to sleep at like 8.30, you know, 8.30 at night, which I never do, all my clothes on upright in a chair. I was just exhausted. I was just, I'm out. I'm just, I think even the kids, if I remember right, they're like, look at dad, he fell asleep. Yeah, I fell asleep getting you here. They're taking selfies and posting them. I'm like, guys, that's not cool. You got to cover dad. And so that week, I remember I'd seen my dad in passing and Watched him go by and I thought of him. I was like, oh man, dad's serving. He's praying. He's helping do things. It's good. I just give him a hug and tell him I'm thinking about him. I told you I went to sleep at about 8.30 that night and I woke up, which I never do, woke up at five in the morning and the Holy Spirit goes, pray for your dad. So I was like, okay. So I just started praying. Lord, I pray that you'd protect him and bless him, cover him, watch over him. I was praying hard and then I went back asleep which is biblical, right? Because that's what they did in the garden. They prayed with Jesus for a little bit and then he fell back asleep. So I was just following in their footsteps. And so where we live, you don't get signal. And so about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, I, I wake up and my phone's going crazy and it's not calls or texts, it's email. And I get this email from my brother in all caps, he's like, dad's in the hospital, call mom. So now I'm freaking out. I'm like, what's happening? Because I woke up to pray and maybe God's doing something. I don't know what's going on. So I have to drive to a place where I get phone signal. So I'm driving and I finally pull off and I got a signal and I call and I get my mom on the phone. And I promise, no exaggeration, I called my mom and this is what she says. She says, well, your dad died. And I just lost it. I just burst into tears. And she goes, but he's back now. And I said, Mom, you're under a lot of stress right now. 
I'm going to give that one to you. <laughs> but you buried the lead. You got to lead with, he's okay. Just give her a little grace. So we were talking through it, processing it, and she goes, but you'll never believe what happened. I said, what? She goes, he was playing racquetball, and his heart stopped, and they got the defibrillator, and they said clear, and they got him back, and we went to the hospital, and you'll never believe who was there at the hospital. Dr. Alex Hatcher, who's in our church, sitting right over here. He was there. It was like, it was like a miracle, Jed. He was like, there he was to help him and to take care of him, and he said it's going to be okay. And so... I, I was like, man, so I get into town and I, I call Alex, Dr. Alex and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I got here yesterday, it took me 13 hours, I'm exhausted, but I'm getting ready, I'm on the plane, I'm heading back. He goes, Jed, you can do that if you want, but I want you to know, we got your dad. We're going to take care of him. We're going to treat him like he's our own family. If you want to stay and be there with your family, you don't have to come because no one's going to care for him and be around him. And before long, it wasn't just Dr. Alex, but it was pastoral staff. It was people in their small group. It was people in the church. Overwhelming outpouring of love. Jed, you can stay with your family. Don't worry about your mom and dad. We're going to love them. We're going to take care of them. Only a generous church can provide that. Only a generous group of relationships that said, we're going to love and serve and take care of them like we would you because that's just who we are. And that's one story out of many, many, many stories. I just tell you that one because I personally experienced it. But this is who you are as a generous church. You say, Jed, when you talk about generosity, is it just about money? No, it's not just about money. But it does start there. See, every week, as we've looked at these ideas, you say, how do I be a part of that? Well, we've tried to say, okay, let's understand what we're really talking about. If we understand the distinctive, what does it mean to say generosity transforms? Here's the incredible thing about generosity. It's got a double impact because it transforms both the one who gives and the one who receives. But if we want to understand, what does it really mean? What's the Bible talking about when it talks about generosity? Here's what I think it means. It means generosity is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Yes, it involves numbers. Yes, it involves resources. Yes, it involves our time. But more than anything else, it comes down to our heart. How do we view what we have? How do we decide when and how much we're going to give? I love what the Bible says here in 1 Chronicles 29. This is David at the end of his life. I love David. David's such a human person. He, really, he experienced the whole gamut of emotions, the whole range of life. If you remember David, when we first meet him, he's the youngest brother. He's like a weirdo. He's out in the field singing songs to God and fighting sheep. The biggest day in the history of his family or fighting bears for sheep. The biggest day in the history of his family, the prophet of the Lord shows up. Let me see your sons. They gather all the sons. And the prophet goes, is this all? And the dad's like, yeah, that's it. He's like, are you sure? Oh, wait, there's one more weirdo. We'll go get him. <laughs> they bring him in. He's anointed as king. Goes on this journey. There are times where he has, he's on the run. He's hiding in a cave. He thinks he's going to die. One time he's so hungry that he eats sacred bread that he's not even supposed to touch. But God says, I see your heart and it's okay. Here now David is at the end of his life. And he's gone from modest, being overlooked. And now he, he, he's the greatest king in the history of his nation. He's got a personal fortune. He's building a temple, a house for the Lord, and he's overwhelmed at what God's given him, and he's generously giving overwhelmingly of his own resources. You think, well, why would he do that? Does he feel obligated as a duty? Is he building a shrine to himself? Look what the Bible tells us, a little window into David's heart. Chronicles 29, 14, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to not be obligated, not feel the duty, not feel guilty, but that we should be able 
to give as generously as this. What motivates someone to be so generous? Look what David says. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. See, here's the thing about generosity. It's a heart issue because it always comes back to this one simple idea, who is the source? David could have come up with a seminar, six steps to becoming king of Israel, six steps to build a business fortune. He didn't do that. He was very clear. Everything I have is a gift that's come from God. I'm not the source. He is. And when you think that way, it changes everything. Listen, I'm not against hard work. I'm not against being responsible. In fact, you should be all those things. But when the Bible talks about you and I, it always uses the word steward. It never uses the word owner. This is hard for us. We don't come by this naturally. We have to be taught. I was thinking about that a couple weeks ago. My two youngest, seven and six, got their first job. You know, time to put them to work. And so here was their job. The neighbor was going out of town. So the neighbor came over and she said, hey, would you, would, would you guys want to get my mail every day if you'll trust me and if you'll be responsible and do this chore and, and bring in our mail and keep it for us when we come back, we may have a little something for you. And so my kids were so excited. They're like telling me, Dad, we gotta get the mail. I'm like, guys, it's not even here yet. They're like, I know, but we gotta get it. And so they were into it. And they were going every day and checking and they got it. And then when they, we think she's back, she's back. And she comes and they, here's your mail. And they're like, we did it. And they're all excited and it's a great moment. And she goes, I got a little something for you. So they get it right there and they open it up right in front of her and go, Dad, 20 bucks, check it out, I'm rich. I was like, son, that's not how we do it. I was like, I'm so sorry, they should know better. I've taught them, honestly, I have. And so we get in the house, I'm like, what are you guys gonna do? What do you think, isn't that great? They're like, let's go spend it. I was like, okay, hang on a second, guys. They're like, this is our money, we're gonna go spend it. Okay, guys, where did that money come from? It came from the neighbor. No, no. Where did that money come from? Well, we did a job. We, we went to the mailbox, and for the job, we got a reward. Well, who gave you the ability? Where did it come from? Who gave you the ability to go to the mailbox? Who gave you legs to walk? Who gave you a mind to remember? Who gave you energy and a willingness to do this? Did you give it to yourself? Did you make yourself? No. Where does it come from? And they go, Dad, it comes from God. I was like, yes, he's your source. Not the neighbor lady, not the 20 bucks in your pocket. God is your source. And if you honor God with what he gives you, he'll trust you with more. Like, wow, God, or wow, Dad, we never thought about it that way. Can we go spend our 20 bucks now? No, 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 no. <laughs> now we, we, we talked about, okay, well, what does it mean? What do we do? Maybe you're saying, Jed, what are you after? Well, if we're going to talk about this every week, we talk about what does it mean to apply this personally? How do we live this out? Well, the first thing, this is what I told my kids, just like I learned as a kid and just like I think many of us learned. The first thing we did when we talk about apply it personally, the first thing we have to start with is generosity starts with the tithe. So I got my little guys there. We got envelopes. We took that 20 bucks. And the first part of what you have, guys, the per first part goes to God to show that he's our source and we honor him. And they go, Dad, where does that come from? Look at the Bible here, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. I could have picked from a bunch of different places this idea of honoring God with the first of what you bring in. 
is a pattern all across Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. God's perspective for you and I is be generous, be, be giving, be quick to honor and to know where your source is from. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in your job, your salary, your resources. Put your hope in me. So you could find this in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Malachi. Well, you say, Jeb, that's just all Old Testament. Well, well, let's think about that for a second. You say, what's that word tithe? Well, the word tithe really just means tenth. And here's what God does. God loves easy math. He likes to make it simple. All you got to do is move a zero, and then you could figure out if you bring in 20, then here's what you got to give. If you bring in 20, you got to give two. That first two goes somewhere. And you think, well, Jed, a lot of times people will say, Jed, that's an Old Testament thing. And Jesus never talked about the tithe. It's not true. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus affirms the tithe. But I would caution you, if you're trying to figure out a way to pay less, if you go to Jesus in the New Testament as your metric. See, if you see what Jesus did in the Old Testament, you know, whether it's the tithe or any area, whenever he talked about the heart, the law was not the be-all, the end-all. It was a starting place to get you to a place to live free in a healthy relationship with God. The Old Testament, Jesus said, they say, don't look, you know, don't commit adultery. In the New Testament, he said, well, if you even look lustfully at a woman in your heart, it's like you went there. If you, if you don't murder, well, in the New Testament, if you, if you have hatred in your heart and you look at someone and you just lack the opportunity, it's like you did it. Let me just tell you, if you think that way about the tithe, 10% seems like a break. It's a starting place. It's a way to train and condition our hearts because here's what I really believe. I really believe you can tithe without being generous. I know because I did it. I get money when I was a kid and I put it aside. Well, God wants this and I don't know why he needs it from me. It's only a little bit. But it was a conditioning in my heart to train me to get to a place where God's not asking something exorbitant or unreasonable and he's training my heart to trust him as my source. It's a little bit like this Fitbit I have here on my wrist. A few years ago, I read a book that said, this, all, this, all the science and the research said that sitting for prolonged periods at your desk, which I do at work, is as bad for your health as smoking cigarettes. And so they recommended, get up, take breaks, move around. You gotta get, and doctors said, there's this number, 10,000 steps. If you hit 10,000 steps every day, that's a great indicator that you're on the road to being healthy. So I got this little guy, I've had it for about five years. Every day I'm trying to hit 10,000. Then I got to a point where I hit 15,000. And now here's the thing. This is just a reminder to get you on the road to being healthy. If I look at this Fitbit and go, oh, I hit my 10,000 steps, let's go to Taco Bell, eat whatever you want, I'm not on a road to health and wellness, right? The 10,000 steps is a reminder to think, what are you eating? Are you taking good care of your body? Are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Are you doing things that are going to lead to a healthy, life-giving approach? In the same way, the tithe is not the be-all and end-all. You start down that road, it trains your heart to participate, to remind you, I'm not the source, I'm not the only one, I'm not the one who's providing for myself. God provides generously and he'll give and he'll help me. You say, Jen, why, why don't, we, if it's so simple, if it's so basic, why don't we do it more? Well, here's the thing, we, we all struggle with a couple different things and the first one is this, we struggle with fear. Fear's a real thing. Fear's a powerful motivator. Fear may be the most powerful motivator, especially when it comes to money. I believe fear drives our economy more than anything else. And here's what fear does. Somebody's holding out on you. You don't have enough. Somebody's taking from you what you worked hard to get. So you gotta get out there and fight for yours. That's the attitude that we live in as a world. 
The math principle is this, it's called zero sum. What it means is if you look at resources as a finite pie, every time that pie gets sliced up and given to something, whatever it's given to you means, whenever that's given to someone else, it means there's less for you. God, if I give you this 10% piece, this big chunk, you start looking at the numbers. I've had so many people tell me, Jed, I wish I started tithing as a kid because now the numbers are big. And when I see that number, there's no way I can make it happen. And my response is always the same. Don't let the numbers and the fear drive you because fear is powerful. If you tell people, look, there's not going to be enough, people react. If you tell people, hey, there was a hurricane in Houston, there's not going to be enough gas, that's where all the refineries are, they'll leave and line up because they're afraid of being in a situation where they don't have gas. And I'm not beating you up. I was in line too. Like, why are we doing this again? Well, just because I play that game like most guys do. How E is E? Can you like coast into whoever coasts in without losing? Anybody else play that game of... If you were playing that during the shortage, you were in line like me. Anyways, here's the point. You come to a place where you say, there's not going to be enough. But that's not the way God sees it. God says, I'm your source. Every time you give, every time you take a piece of that pie and invest it in something else, because God's not zero, zero sum, because he's not limited, not only are you not just missing out on what you have, you're creating a space for God to come in and fill. God wants to bring you to a place. See, the first thing is fear, and let's make no mistake. Fear is not a, na a natural, rational thing. Fear is a spiritual thing. You can't fight a spiritual thing with rational database and numbers. You fight fear with spiritual power. This was a struggle for me. I used to have unreasonable anxiety and fear. What if I'm not going to have enough? As I started to pray and trust God, God, that fear is not from you. I had a friend a couple years ago. I'd known him since he was a college student. He got a job and he moved in. He's like, Jed, I, I want to tithe. I know I'm supposed to tithe. I've never been doing better financially, but I'm just afraid. So he started to pray. And I said, if you'll just trust God and lean into his goodness, he'll provide for you. But you've got to trust him more than you trust your fear. He said, okay, Jed, no matter what happens, even if we have to downsize, even if we have to cut back, I'm going to do it. And he did. He started on that journey. And you know the amazing thing is God does so often. God met him in his place of obedience and faith. And as he gave, he didn't get less. He got more. And he said, you know what the best part was, Jed? It wasn't just that God met my needs. It's that the fear no longer dominated my life. The beautiful thing about training your heart is not because God's trying to extract something from you. He's trying to give you a life that's not dominated by fear, where you can trust him as your source. Here's the second thing. The second thing is, we've got a generosity. As we continue to grow, generosity continues with spirit-led giving. Generosity continues. We never outgrow it. We never finish it. We never say, I put that in the checkbox. I'm done. The amazing thing about God is, he, whether it's, because for some of us, it's easier to give resources. Some of us, it's easier to give time. Some of us, it's easier to give our talents. We volunteer. But wherever it's easy to give, God says, will you trust me in the place where it's not easy? Because generosity, if you could just repay yourself quickly, it's not really that generous. Generous requires, hey, I'm actually losing something. I told you about the Amazon guy. Amazon acquired Whole Foods because the stock price of Whole Foods went down. The purchase price of Whole Foods for Amazon was less than the stock appreciation. He actually bought Whole Foods and came out ahead. That's not generosity. That's being savvy. It's good business strategy. God doesn't just want us to have good business strategy. He wants us to be generous, to trust that he's our source. 
You know, here's the last thing. You say, what happens when we live this together? Well, when you have a community, here's what I believe. Not only does generosity bless the person who gives and the person who receives, generosity, just like fear, generosity becomes in, in contagious. You build an environment where people spur one another onto love and good deeds and generosity. That's what the church does. Heard about the story the other day. We love to help people. We love to bless people. We love to be generous because you're generous. And and I heard about the story about this single mom named Michelle. Here she is. And she said, you know, I wanted to tithe, but I was just so afraid. I'm a single mom trying to make it. And and it's not easy. And there's a lot of expenses. And I, I got credit card debt and I've got these things and I know I should tithe but I just look at the number and it's so big but I know God wants me to do it. So finally she just got to the point where she's like, you know what? Someone was generous. They, they paid for me to go to FPU, Financial Peace, which is our stewardship class here. So she jumped in and she just did it. She said, Jed, I went old school. I did the envelopes. I didn't give myself an excuse. I wasn't looking for a way to know better or a workaround. I just did what they told me. I worked the program and here's what happened. In a short amount of time, I was able to pay off the $16,000 in credit card debt. Not only that, from day one, I started tithing and giving regularly. Not only that, uh, now the only debt I have is my house and my car, and and I even had enough to take my daughter on a vacation and pay for it in cash. And now not only that, but I'm leading and I'm helping other single moms, and I'm serving, and I'm helping somebody else experience what changed my life so profoundly. But she said, Jed, the greatest thing about the whole process wasn't just that my needs were met, wasn't just that God allowed me to obey Him, wasn't just that I was able to be generous, But she said, the fear that used to just weigh over me, that used to hang over me, it's gone. Because I can trust that my God will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. And not just meet my needs, but allow me to live the life that's truly life, to be generous. Many of you, many of you, most of you are living this way. And we don't want to stop. We want to grow in our generosity. Maybe you're there today and you're saying, Jen, I'm not ready. I'm afraid. I don't know even where to start. What starts in your heart, a willingness to say, I want to be this way. It may not be easy. My story may not be their story, but I'm going to trust God. And in my heart, I want to live generous. Will you pray with me? Jesus, like David, as we look at our lives, we're overwhelmed Lord, your word says that no one has ever given to you who hadn't first received from you. Your word says that every good and perfect gift comes from you. God, the the ability to wake up in the morning, the ability to, to laugh or to have joy or to have a cup of coffee or to come into a place and to be encouraged and to feel your presence. Lord, beyond our basic needs of shelter and 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 food and clothing. God, you've you've provided so abundantly for us in all these areas, but you don't just stop there. God, you call us to a life that's truly life. God, I'm praying that each of us, as we walk with you and we grow closer to you and we hear your voice, Lord, as we hear your voice, it's amazing that God, as I think of my own life, how many times when you speak to me, yes, you tell me you love me, yes, you tell me you're with me, but you tell me, Jed, I want you to give. I want you to serve. I want you to lay down your life for someone else. God, you're not, it's not unreasonable. It's how you live life every day. Lord, let us be a people who are generous, who serve, who understand you're our source. You're not holding out on us. 
God, let us be generous people who don't look for a reason why we shouldn't give, but look for opportunities to be a blessing to others because we serve a loving, generous God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 